raining in the park But meantime Sound of the river You're stopping your whole everything A band is blowing Dixie Double fall time Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 222, Managing Third-Party Sanctions Risks. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Uh, I'm glad to finally get to this topic because uh, I see a lot of enforcement actions and questions coming up about how do you manage your third-party risks in relation to uh, OFAC sanctions. Uh, and before we get started on this interesting topic, how about a word from our sponsor at uh, Steel Compliance? Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's Ethics and Compliance Automated Platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Well, it's uh, good to return to third-party risks. Uh, and, you know, there's one issue that is repeated over and over and over. It's uh, third-party risks. And over the last 10 years, of course, we've witnessed an explosion Uh, in anti-corruption enforcement around the world. And with that focus, it was inevitable that third-party risk would become a core area for ethics and compliance programs to mitigate those risks. Now, economic sanctions enforcement is a fast-rising risk for global companies. And for many years, uh, OFAC, the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, Uh, focused on financial institutions. Um, But that changed in the last 10 years uh, as OFAC stretched its enforcement focus towards software, manufacturing, telecom, technology companies, and the like. Uh, And with this growth in sanctions enforcement, OFAC has embraced an aggressive view 
of third-party risks. Like the FCPA, under OFAC's regime, third parties are not permitted to do what the primary company cannot do, or primary companies cannot use third parties to do for themselves what they can't do directly. And as a result, we've witnessed a steady increase in OFAC enforcement actions against global companies for failing to ensure compliance by third-party agents, distributors, and other intermediaries. Now, to, to understand the risks here, I think it's best to uh, go back to the laws, we say, go back to basics. And the seminal case here uh, in terms of third-party risks is a case called Epsilon Electronics v. Uh, OFAC, or United States Department of the Treasury, Office of Foreign, uh, Foreign Asset Control. This is a decision that came out in 2017 from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. And in this case, the Court of Appeals threw out a portion of OFAC's $4 million civil penalty against Epsilon Electronics for violations of the, uh, of the Iranian uh, transactions and sanctions uh, regulations. The Court of Appeals uh, upheld OFAC's broad interpretation of the Iran uh, sanctions and that's important, um, and basically held that a violation occurs if an exporter has reason to know, and those are the key words, that its exports to a third country are intended to be re-exported to, let's say, a prohibited country like Iran. In this respect, the court upheld OFAC's interpretation of its regulations that OFAC does not need to prove in fact that the exported goods arrived in Iran to establish a violation. The Epsilon Electronics case underscores the importance of conducting due diligence on distributors and managing risks that the distributor may transship goods to prohibited countries, entities, or individuals. So let's start with section 560.204 of the Iran sanctions program which prohibits the export, re-export, sale, or supply directly or indirectly from the U.S. or by a U.S. person wherever located of any goods, technology, or services to Iran or the government of Iran. And here's the important quote. Including the export, re-export, sale, or supply of any goods, technology, or services to a person in a third country undertaken with knowledge or reason to know that such goods, technology, or services are intended uh, specifically for supply, transshipment, or re-exportation to Iran or the government of Iran. So the Epsilon Electronics Court interpreted these regulations to conclude that a finding of liability does not require OFAC to prove that the goods at issue actually arrived in Iran. So the tricky question here is how do you define reason to know when dealing with third parties? OFAC has explained that reason to know can be established, quote, through a variety of circumstantial evidence, including course of dealing, general knowledge of the industry or customer preferences, working relationships between the parties, or other criteria far too numerous to enumerate. And it's that catch-all of other criteria far too numerous to enumerate 
that basically is like an open door uh, to definition. In the Epsilon Electronics case, the Court of Appeals cited the following evidence from the, the third party's English language website. So the party they were actually uh, exporting to was in Dubai, which is close by in the UAE to Iran. And what they found, what OFAC's uh, investigation revealed was that from the website, the third party's website, that the third party in Dubai distributed exclusively in Iran during much of the period at issue. Two, the third party presented itself as an affiliate of its Tehran, Iran company. Three, the third party's website contact us page listed only two addresses, one in Dubai and the other in Tehran. And the about us page cited the third party's 10 years of experience in Iran's market and extensive distribution network in Iran, including a long list of sales agents located in the country. In addition to the available website information, the Epsilon Electronics Court cited direct evidence that the third party had actually had actual or that Epsilon Electronics actual had actual knowledge that the third parties had connections to Iran, including Epsilon Electronics copied images from the third party's website and placed them on its own website, displaying them in a photo gallery labeled Iran. Two, they also had evidence of a freight, a freight manifest, which listed a shipment from Epsilon Electronics address directly to the third party's uh, uh, address in Tehran. Interestingly, uh, in this case, and this is sort of an aside here, the Epsilon Electronics Court reversed OFAC's finding of reason to know for the last five shipments of a total of 39 shipments at issue. Specifically, the court found that OFAC ignored evidence of several email conversations between Epsilon's sales team and the third party's manager in which the third-party manager said the goods were being sold out of the third-party store in Dubai. OFAC argued that the conversations were not credible, uh, but failed to provide any explanation or support for that determination. As a result, the court reversed OFAC's uh, ruling that the last five shipments violated the Iran sanctions. So now let's we know the law, we apply the law, this is the relevant law uh, with regard to the regulations. And again, you have to look at each sanctions program set of regulations to make sure uh, Iran and Cuba, for example, and Venezuela and North Korea have the most aggressive uh, regulations as well as uh, Syria. So, the, and then once we take the law into account, now we have to design appropriate third-party sanctions controls. And it, I like to think of it as reverse engineering the relevant case law from Epsilon uh, Electronics. Uh, and it's one thing to detect and prevent situations where a company actor has actual knowledge. It is quite another to extend such controls to situations where a company actor has quote unquote reason to know that a third party shipment will be transshipped to a prohibited country, entity, or individual. So OFAC knows that this is a difficult compliance uh, standard to meet. 
and obviously has opened up the box to lots and lots of uh, variety of evidence that can be used to meet this requirement. But companies as a first step now have to begin where we always start, uh, which is referring obviously to OFAC's framework for sanctions compliance programs, which I constantly reference, uh, issued by OFAC in May of 2019, and which basically says that organizations have to take a risk-based approach that is keyed to identify potential areas in which an organization may engage with OFAC prohibited persons, parties, countries, or regions. As part of this process, organizations have to assess their customers, their supply chain, their intermediaries and counterparties, the commercial products, networks and systems, and most very importantly, the geographic locations of customers, supply chain intermediaries, and counterparties. The purpose of the risk assessment is to identify inherent risks and make risk-based decisions and controls. And organizations have to integrate existing information and data about its third parties in order to ensure a robust and accurate assessment of risks. Uh, and at the heart of this assessment has to be the geographic locations of an organization's third-party intermediaries. For example, third parties that are located in Dubai uh, have geographic proximity uh, that is close to uh, Iran and they present a serious risk solely by virtue of their proximity to Iran. Similar situations of geographic proximity occur in relation to North Korea, Cuba, Syria, and other prohibited countries and the Crimea region. Organizations then have to apply a broad standard defining circumstances, however, when an organization has reason to know that a third party will transship uh, goods to a prohibited country. And they have to collect and review uh, data concerning the organization's course of dealing with the third party. This should be a robust examination of relevant information concerning all interactions and transactions. In applying this risk-based approach, organizations have to adjust the intensity of these reviews based on an overall risk-based score, which may take into account geography, uh, the geographic location, the financial level of sales, and the product or service characteristics. In certain high-risk situations, a high-volume Dubai-based distributor with ties to uh, Iran will mandate a thorough review, including possible interviews of employees to determine the actual level of risk. And this risk-based examination will dictate the level of scrutiny and specific controls governing the onboarding of a new third party, the renewal of a third party where you do have data about existing interactions or prior interactions, and then approval of individual transactions involving uh, the third party. So now let's talk about practical steps to implement and manage these uh, third-party sanctions risks. And facing this sort of uh, myriad third-party sanctions risks can be really daunting. I mean, there many global organizations rely on a network of third-party intermediaries that pose a variety of risks. And to mitigate those risks, there are certain practical steps that have to be taken. 
Let's start with some basic compliance requirements. Initially, as part of the onboarding process, uh, if you're in that sort of position or renewal, uh, where you're going to assign a sanctions risk score or category, you have to conduct due diligence to unearth any potential issues. These issues will include beneficial ownership, presence of existing or foreign government officials and closely related family members, prior enforcement or civil litigation matters relevant to the risks presented, existence of a compliance program, including policies and procedures and training uh, conducted by the third party, proposed business relationship and course of business, and of course, financial status and health of the third party. The company has also to conduct some independent research relating to the third party and cannot simply uh, rely upon uh, an automated database uh, answer or uh, screening process. In addition to this, the, the uh, proposed contract, and there should be a contract between the organization and the third party, should be clear on the expected course of dealing, including the territory or territories in which the third party should operate. Uh, for example, if the proposed agreement, and we just had a case like this uh, that was recently reported, uh, includes Iran as a ter an authorized territory in which the third party will operate, that provision creates obvious problems and has to be modified to eliminate Iran. The contract with the third party should contain relevant compliance representations and certifications that are tailored to the specific risks uncovered during the onboarding process. At a minimum, the contract should include robust certification provisions ensuring that the third party will comply with all applicable economic sanctions, laws, and regulations, submit periodic certifications of compliance as directed by the organization, notify the organization if there's a potential violation, participate in appropriate compliance training or deliver its own compliance training sessions, complete end user verification documentation when required, and comply with specific testing or auditing requests from the company, including verification of end use shipment data and documents. To the extent that specific issues arise during the onboarding process, companies have to tailor the contractual provisions to address these representations. For example, if the third party has a family relationship with a prohibited or restricted uh, party, the company should craft a specific provision to address that risk. While contractual provisions sound good on paper and even in practice, the existence, however, of, of these contractual representations by themselves are rarely sufficient to avoid potential liability under sanctions, laws, and regulations. For example, in the 2019 Apollo Aviation case, OFAC settled an enforcement action for $210,000 for violation of the Sudanese sanctions program despite the fact that Apollo's contract leasing a jet engine included a provision prohibiting the lessee from violating sanctions, laws, and regulations. The lessee subleased the jet engine to a Ukrainian party who violated uh, the Sudan's sanctions program. 
OFAC noted that Apollo Aviation took no steps to ensure compliance with the contractual prohibition on dealing with prohibited countries. And uh, so contractual provisions are one of several required steps. To this end, uh, OFAC has always cited the importance of periodic certifications of compliance, and perhaps most importantly, uh, coupled that with robust monitoring and verification procedures to ensure that third parties adhere to U.S. sanctions laws. And OFAC's enforcement actions and compliance guidance underscore the importance of audit testing and verification procedures as a key tool of any sanctions compliance program. This is perhaps what I see uh, in the industry is the most lacking sort of effort. There's not much effort that's given to auditing and testing, and this should be a high priority for all trade compliance programs. An effective auditing, testing, and verification program has to focus on those high-risk third parties that may transship goods and provide services to prohibited countries, entities, and individuals. The first step in this process is to implement appropriate verification procedures and documentation for the third party to complete. And based on that documentation and considering the level of risk, a tier-based testing program should be used to collect and analyze a sample of transaction documentation. In this respect, companies should collect, review, invoice purchase orders, shipping documentation, including bills of lading, and other appropriate documentation to verify that the end-user customer was the recipient of the goods. In the case of services like software and downloading and cloud-based services, documentation again should be collected and reviewed to verify the ultimate recipient of the specific service, the cloud delivery of software. Depending on the results of the sample transactions, additional sampling may be necessary to ensure overall compliance. The monitoring program also should include appropriate check-ins and informal interviews with company representatives responsible for maintaining the third-party relationship, along with other information collected during the audit, testing, and sampling review. As I said, this is the key area for companies to mitigate and manage third-party risks is uh, ultimately following the goods, creating documentation to where the third party ultimately is going to sell or transit ship uh, the goods and who they sell them to. All right, thank you everybody. And uh, hope they, hopefully that was helpful. And uh, please uh, let us know if you ever need any help with uh, putting in place these types of programs. Uh, we've done it for a number of companies and uh, would enjoy the opportunity to collaborate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week with another episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, 
mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Sultans. We are the Sultans. 